Thank you for listening to this sermon, which originates from the pulpit of First Baptist Church in Douglas, Georgia. First Baptist has as its mission to love God, love others, and make disciples. Currently, First Baptist, like other churches, is meeting in the homes of our members, though we are continuing to broadcast by radio and streaming online. As you listen today, it is our prayer that the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart through the words of the sermon. Let's listen. In Yellowstone National Park, there's a geyser known as Old Faithful. It got its name from the first official expedition to Yellowstone, the Washburn Expedition in 1870. Old Faithful erupts every 35 to 120 minutes for one and a half to five minutes. Its maximum height ranges from 90 to 184 feet. Park officials say it has been erupting in nearly the same fashion throughout recorded history of the park. Like that old geyser, old faithful, we as Christians should be known by our great faithfulness. During this series of messages entitled Life in the Vine, we've been looking at nine different character qualities. So far, we've looked at six. Today will be seven. It will be faithfulness. These character qualities are the result of us as believers abiding in Christ. When we abide in Christ, it means that we have committed our lives to the Lord Jesus. We have been saved by his grace and given the person of the Holy Spirit to live within us. It is the working of the Holy Spirit in us that produces spiritual fruit. The spirit fruit is one fruit that has nine different traits. And if we are Christians, these traits will be made evident in our lives. To abide in Christ means that we will produce fruit. The Bible says in John chapter 15, not only will we produce fruit, but more fruit and much fruit. That's a process where we're growing in our faith, developing, maturing as believers, and the work of the Holy Spirit is evidenced through these characteristics. Nelson, the Nelson's Bible Dictionary defines faithfulness as dependability, loyalty, stability, particularly as it describes God in his relationship with human beings. I like what Dr. Jerry Vines said. He defines faithfulness as doing your duty until your duty is done. Doing your duty until your duty is done. Let's look a little closer at faithfulness. There's some things we can learn about it I think will be very helpful for us as we grow in our Christian faith. First of all, let's look at our reason for being faithful. Now, as we've been doing throughout this series, we're going to be looking at numerous Bible passages. The first will be Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. And here we will find the reason for being faithful. Now, the book of Lamentations was, of course, written by the prophet Jeremiah. Here in this section of Scripture, he's talking about 
Israel's afflictions. They had gone through some difficult times while in Babylon, of course. He speaks about the hope of relief as a result of the mercy of the Lord. And he says, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We just sang that, right? Great is his faithfulness. He is great. And because God's faithfulness is so great, we have good reason to be great ourselves in faithfulness. And that is because we aspire to be like him. As we yield to him, he produces within us this quality of faithfulness. Now, when it comes to the faithfulness of the Lord, there are many examples we could cite. I want to give you a number of them, starting in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. And here we see God's faithfulness as creator. He is faithful as the creator. Now, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Of course, Peter's writing this uh, to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall endure their souls, or should say entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The intent of this verse is to show that we suffer as Christians. Don't get under the impression that if you're a Christian, there will be no suffering. Nowhere in the Bible do you read that. To the contrary, the Bible teaches that there will be suffering. Tribulation will come, the Bible says, but be of good cheer, Jesus proclaimed, I have overcome the world. And the suffering of this world is only for a brief time and it passes away, we are taught in Scripture. So suffering is going to come, but as believers, created by God, saved by His grace... We have the assurance that all will be well. This great creator and provider for all of our needs will see to it that we will endure this time of affliction. Because we have entrusted our souls to him. God's faithfulness as creator should encourage us. Then notice also God's faithfulness in salvation. You can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and you can see uh, something about God's salvation, how important that is to all of us. As Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, Who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's speaking about salvation here. The faithfulness of the Lord to save us. We're not saved because of good deeds. I have found that there are many people who are church-going people, who have a misunderstanding about what salvation really is. In my conversations with people, I find out that many people believe that if they've joined the church, they're saved. And they may be able to tell you when they joined and uh, what the experience was like. And you can probe them a little bit more. And they will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I've, I've never really 
done that much wrong in my life. I try to do the right thing. And they will tell you what all they've done. But all those things do not bring salvation. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Romans chapter 3 declares, there's none righteous, no, not one. So we can't produce enough righteousness to gain favor with God. It's a gift of God that is salvation is. It's a gift of God. We are not saved by our works. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of your works. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So we're grateful that God has provided this salvation Through his son, the Lord Jesus, he's faithful to us in that he's provided salvation. Another way we see God's faithfulness is in sanctification. Turn over, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This comes near the end of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. He's talking about how to conduct ourselves as believers. And he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Sanctification may sound like a big word, but it really simply means that God has set you apart. You have been sanctified. He has declared us righteous the moment we were saved. I'm so glad of that. I'm glad that my righteous standing before God is not dependent upon my performance, but his grace. He has already declared me righteous. Now, the process of sanctification is God conforming me to who he's already declared me to be. He's at work changing me, creating me anew, conforming me to the very image of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we refer to this as transformation. He's changing me from the old way to a new creature in Christ Jesus. We are new in our nature when we become Christians. But the work begins where he's changing me. And ultimately it will be completed at graduation. When we are called to be with him. Whether through death or through the rapture. Where God takes his people home. And he completes that process. It will be an entire process of completion as he mentions here in this passage how that uh, we are entirely to be sanctified and you may and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at his coming that's where we're heading so we have to be kind of patient with one another because of our imperfections Pray for one another, encourage one another, strive to become all that God would have us to do as we yield to him. But this sanctification process, God has said, I will complete. He's faithful in doing it. We also see God's faithfulness in temptation. I'm sure that uh, you're going to be tempted just as I am. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, 
we see that Paul is speaking about temptation to the church at Corinth. And he uses Israel as an example. God brought them out of Egypt. And uh, he led them through the wilderness wanderings. And time and time again, although they had seen the great miracles performed in Egypt. And God provided for them in such miraculous ways. Yet they still fell to temptation. They still rebelled against God. And so this is the example not to follow after them. Don't be like they were. How is it that we can overcome temptation? Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you but such as it is common to man. Have you ever thought no one has ever been tempted like me? Well, the truth is, we all are tempted. It is a common experience. You're not unusual because of some temptation you're facing. Now, God does not tempt men. The Bible says that God does not tempt any man, and he himself cannot be tempted. However, he does allow temptation to occur. I mean, as a matter of fact, God allowed his son, the Lord Jesus, to be tempted. And he overcame the temptation. God will never allow us to be tempted in such a way that we have no escape. That's what he says here in verse 13. And God is faithful, he says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. God has provided for us an escape from every temptation. We only fall because we choose to yield. As believers, we make a decision. We're going to yield to the temptation. We don't have to. We have the power of Christ living within us through the person of the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation. God has provided an exit plan. But yet we choose sometimes to sin. But God is faithful to us. In that we don't have to as believers. Also we see God's faithfulness to forgive. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. We read that familiar passage. That says that God will forgive us. If we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. And he declares us to be forgiven. In that passage. So we are grateful that he forgives us. And we need to rejoice in that. And celebrate that on every occasion that we meet together. That God is a forgiving God. Uh, I'm sure you're like I am. And you have to frequently call upon the Lord. And ask him uh, to cleanse you from your sin. And the Lord is faithful to do that. You need to understand you and I both that. That God has already forgiven us past, present, and future of all of our sins. However, when we sin, our fellowship with God is disturbed. And we need to confess on up to our sin so that that fellowship can be restored. But we don't cease to be the children of God if we're truly saved when sin is committed. For example, those of you who are, have children, do they ever disobey? You ever have children who disobey? Do you disown them? Do you kick them out of the house and say, you're no longer my child? No. 
You love your children. You discipline your children. You correct them. But they're still your children. When we sin against God, God still loves us. Sin is very serious, especially in the life of a believer. God will discipline us. We can lose reward. But God doesn't disown us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see God's faithfulness to forgive. Also, we see God's faithfulness with eternal life. Hebrews chapter 10, which is a tremendous passage, by the way. I hope you give your attention to it. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. What we read here, I'm going to set the context up and... uh, it will help you understand what he's talking about. He's speaking to Jews who have been converted to Christ, yet they are being tempted to go back and live according to the old covenant. Why would anyone want to go live according to the old covenant? It's inferior to the new covenant that we have through the blood of Christ Jesus. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to point out to these readers. And he says now that through Christ Jesus, you don't have to go to the temple there in Jerusalem and And bring a sacrifice and then give it to the priest. And the priest on the day of atonement, the only one who could enter the Holy Holies was the high priest. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. He had to go through all kinds of ceremonial cleansings to enter into the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus died, what happened? The curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies ripped in two from the top to the bottom. Why? God was saying to the world, through Christ Jesus now, you can come boldly before my throne. With confidence, not arrogance, confidence. You have access to God himself. Not by virtue of your good deeds or your church attendance or church membership or baptism. Oh no, by virtue of the fact that you have trusted Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You have access now to the Father. And that's the only way, by the way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So he says we have this access. Now, based upon this new and living way that we have to the Father through the veil that is the flesh of Christ at the cross, there are three things he tells us. First of all, he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart. That is, come into his presence with full assurance of having faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Secondly, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That means that God has provided for us eternal life through his son, the Lord Jesus. He's faithful. Now, we're going to come back in just a little while to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. But we see here the faithfulness of God in providing eternal life. Now, some people believe that you can lose your salvation. I'm not one who believes that. The Bible does not teach that. They say, Pastor, if you sin, you've lost your salvation. You have to start over and get saved again. 
If that is the case, you don't have eternal life. Eternal life is life with no end. The best you could call it would be temporary life. The possibility of eternal life. I like what uh, we read in John chapter 10 where the Bible speaks about how that no man can pluck you out of the hand of God. Nothing can take you out of his hand. We have been given eternal life. That doesn't mean that we won't be disciplined when we sin. It doesn't mean that, that we won't lose reward in heaven. But it does mean that God is faithful to us. Now, one reason for being faithful for us as believers is because we serve a faithful God. I've given you some of the many examples of God's faithfulness. I read a story about a pastor who visited one of his church members who happened to be a farmer. When he got out of the the car, he noticed on top of the barn there was a windmill and an inscription that he had to squint his eyes to read. And here's what he read, God is faithful. The preacher said to the farmer, does that mean that God is faithful based upon which way the wind blows? No, said the farmer, the words mean that regardless of which way the wind blows, God is faithful. Which way is the wind blowing in your life? Are you facing some difficulty, some hardship, disappointment, unanswered questions, confusion, trials, loss? The wind's blowing hard against you. Friend, let me say to you, let me remind you, God is faithful even in the storm. You may not be able to understand. You may not be able to reason it out and explain it. But trust him. Be faithful to him. Abide in Christ. He will see you through the storm because he's faithful. Look at how faithful he's been in so many different ways. Don't forget the faithfulness of the Lord when you are facing the storms of life. So... We need to be faithful because our God is faithful. But secondly, notice our requirement to be faithful. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Here, of course, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, an immature church in a very difficult place, a very secular, immoral city. And uh, he's talking about being servants. And he says this, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. You may uh, have a King James Version and it says, be found faithful, faithful. God expects us to be faithful. It is required of us because we're stewards. Now, what is a steward? Well, have you ever been on an airplane? You have stewardesses and stewards on the airplane. They do not own the airplane. They are simply managing what is someone else's. They have the responsibility to manage. So do we as believers. We are stewards. God has blessed us with so much. We need to use it wisely. We're stewards. And we need to be faithful as stewards. It's required of us to be so. Now, what does this mean? Well, faithfulness. In our worship, going back now to Hebrews chapter 10, where we were just a few minutes ago. Hebrews chapter 10, we talked about uh, two of the three things that uh, 
we are expected to do and that we should do because we have this access now to God. Notice the, the third one we begin to read in verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Well, how do we do that? How can we stimulate one another to love and good deeds? He tells us in verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day of Christ's return. He says, stir up one another for love and good deeds by coming together. It's been hard to do that, hasn't it, during this pandemic? Now we're beginning to recover from it when this first phase of recovery Some are yet to be able to come because of uh, physical immunity issues. And some of our senior adults wisely are saying, you know, I'm going to have to wait. And we understand that. And we support you. We want you to know that. We miss you, though. We hope that uh, this issue will be resolved soon and we can all be back together. Because I'm telling you, when we're not together, when there's an empty room in here, this is an empty building. I'm telling you. Having for months the opportunity to reach out to the church through a camera, I'm thankful for that. And all the people who made that happen, they spent hours making that possible. We're very thankful for that. But I'm telling you, you cannot replicate corporate worship through a television screen. You just can't do it. It's going to be interesting to see how we recover once this is all over. There are some people, if you've gotten used to watching the services in your pajamas, you may think, you know, I can just stay home and watch the services. It would be better you wear your pajamas to church among God's people than miss the service. And again, I'm not talking about those who can't come now because of the pandemic. I'm talking about once we've recovered from it and you physically are able to come. Friend, there's something very important and stimulating and necessary For God's people to come together and interact in worship. Now we need to be worshiping privately. Don't don't misunderstand. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, if we're not worshiping privately, most likely it's not going to happen when we come together corporately. So yes, we need to engage in worshiping God. But let's not miss the opportunity to get together and stimulating one another to love and good works. Worship is a part of being faithful. I mean, why wouldn't we want to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has done so much for us? We should want to worship him. He deserves to be worshipped. Did you know no one on this planet, no being that's ever been created deserves or should be worshipped? There's only one being that should be worshipped, only one who deserves it, and that is God and God alone. How often it is that we give so much admiration and affection to people who are human beings who will live and die just the way we do. They are not gods, although sometimes they're treated as gods. They're flesh and blood. There's only one true and living God, and we're to worship Him and Him alone. So faithfulness is expressed through our worship. Also faithfulness is expressed through our wealth. Flip over to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. The book of Proverbs is a book of wise sayings. 
And they are given with the intent of us putting them to practice. I want to encourage you to read these regularly. Notice, if you would, as we begin to look in verses 9 and 10, and we see something about our wealth. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, of course, he's speaking to people who were primarily a part of an agricultural type community. This is the way they lived. They planted crops. They gathered the harvest. And he's saying, when you gather in that harvest, don't forget to honor the Lord with the first fruits of it. It's very important. How does this apply to us? Well, there are some farmers here in our congregation, very thankful for farmers. I have a a, a special place in my heart for farmers because I come from a line of farmers uh, and my family, and I'm very thankful for them. They're very har- farmers, are very hardworking men, and uh, and you could say women too because they're out there in the fields as well. But uh, we primarily are not; most of us are not farmers per se. So what we do is go out and work, and when we get the salary, we are to give a portion to the Lord for His work, and as a way to honor Him and to remind ourselves of of his goodness and provision in our lives. And so many of you have done that, especially through this pandemic. I've just been so encouraged by your faithfulness. You understand what we're going through and the need to continue to do ministry, and you have been faithful. I commend you for that. Now, some of you might be listening to this, and you say, well, you're talking about being faithful with your wealth, but I'm not wealthy. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any shoes on your feet? I didn't see anybody come in barefoot, and I, I did see some sandals. I guess that's about as close as you can get. But uh, if you have sandals, that's a blessing, right? Amen? How many of you have more than one pair of shoes? Raise your hand. Now, you women, I know all of you do. And uh, all kinds of clothes. Think about the clothes, different types of clothes we have in our closets. Most of us have more than one closet. Some closets are bigger than some people's houses in the world. Seriously. We will all eat today, and and I can tell that none of us have missed many meals. We have plenty to eat, amen? Let's be honest. We get to choose what we're going to eat, and we argue over it. You ever go out with your wife, what do you want to eat? Well, it doesn't matter. Well, why don't we go over here? No, I don't want to do that. We have, we have such abundance. Most people in the world are in poverty compared to where we are, even the poorest among us. We should be grateful to God for these things. So therefore, we are stewards of these things. We must use them wisely, give to the Lord and use what we keep wisely. That's how we are faithful with our wealth. But also we need to be faithful with our words. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 12 verse uh, 22. Another wise saying, lying lips are an abomination. The word abomination means a detestable thing. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who deal faithfully are his delight. We're to use our words wisely, be faithful in how we use them. This is so critical in this day where people say whatever comes to mind. 
It's not wise to say whatever comes to mind. We've all done it, right? And we regret it once it's happened. So we have to be careful the words that we use when we speak to people. Be faithful with your words. Also be faithful in your witness. Going back now to 1 Peter. Look in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. When we finish with this series, you'll know more about the books of the Bible, right? 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. And I love this passage because it really is emphasizing how we are to follow the example of Christ and how we are to uh, be kind to people and display love for others and live out our faith. He says in verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. So we're to bear witness for who Christ is. You know, we live in a day where there are many Christians that are silent when it comes to the gospel. And one reason they're so silent is because the culture is so resistant. They, they fear man more than God. And so we just, we're silent. We're afraid that people won't like us or that they might ridicule us. And we think, well, you know, it does sound kind of strange sharing your faith where people don't really want to listen to it. And, you know, talking about someone who lived so long ago, died on the cross, was raised from the dead. They don't identify with that. So we give reasons why we should disobey what God rightly tells us. Share the gospel. Be ready at any moment to share it. We have the good news. Now, not everybody's going to receive it, but some people will. Listen, we have uh, over a billion people in this world who claim to be Christians. And I know not all of them are, but they at least claim to be. So you're not alone. You're not the only Christian in the world. Understand the faith. Understand how to proclaim the message of the gospel with clarity. Give that life Sustaining, life-giving word to others. We are to be faithful in our witness. God has placed you strategically in locations where the gospel needs to be lived out and proclaimed. We also can be faithful in our work. Go back with me to Proverbs chapter 11. Are you still with me this morning? So praise the Lord. That's kind of weak, folks. Let's try that again. Say praise the Lord. Lord. Amen. We do praise his name. Now, notice with me, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, we're talking about faithfulness and work. And this is something we all need to hear. Let me read verse 1. A false balance is an abomination. There's that word again, a detestable thing. A false balance is is a detestable, an abomination to the Lord. Uh, But a just weight is his delight. Now, what is he talking about? He's He's talking about being in business and you, uh, and you, um, you tinker with the weights so that you will be to the advantage when you're weighing something out. You will be financially advantaged. By way of application, this would mean when we are conducting business that we're fair with everybody. 
We're not trying to gyp somebody or, or steal from them. We're trying to be fair and provide a good product for a good price. Treat everybody fairly. That's the emphasis here. Our work should be done in a fair, honest, responsible way. That's what God expects of us as believers. That's how we live out this faithful life. But also notice in verse uh, chapter 12, if you would, verse, uh, let's look at verse 11. He says, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. Another wise saying, what does this mean? You say, I don't till the land. I'm not a farmer. Right, but apply it to present day realities. We work in a job. He's saying that you're to work hard in your job. Don't waste your time. Don't just sit around the house playing video games. Put yourself to some good labor. Did you know that people should be calling me up here at the church saying, Pastor, I have a vacancy in my business and and I, you, you Christians have such a reputation for hard work and dependability and honesty. I want, a, I want a Christian to come work in my business. I'm not a believer myself, but I'm telling you, those Christians really work. Do you have somebody that you could recommend? Did you know there are people who manage businesses and they can't even take a lunch break because when they do, they're afraid somebody's going to steal something from the store? Or the quality of business plummets because they can't trust the people they've hired? That should never be said among God's people, should it? You're talking about living out a life that is Christ-like? This is where the rubber meets the road. When we begin to work our best, do our best, hard labor, and be honest and faithful, and before the... The time is to be uh, marked on the clock our, on our, when we stamp our, you know, our, our, our card that we're in that particular day. If we have that type of job, we should be there early. Be there ahead of time. Stay a little late. Work hard. You say, well, pastor, wait just a minute. You know, I just flip hamburgers down at the local fast food joint. Nobody cares about what I do. It's not that big a deal. I'll just turn the hamburgers. If you just flip hamburgers, you need to be the best hamburger flipper you can possibly be. If you can't be trusted to flip a hamburger, how can you be trusted to run a corporation? Faithfulness. This is the work of the Spirit coming out and living in our lives in everyday life. See, many people have this concept that being a Christian, just marching into church and sitting on the pew and listening to a message and walking out. Oh, no. Being a Christian affects everything we do. Every relationship we have. And he's saying here in this passage, work is a very important thing that we should give our attention to. We must be faithful in our work. When you go to the doctor, he may give you a prescription. And you take that prescription, 
based upon your belief that he's being faithful. You carry it down to the pharmacist. You give it to her and she fills the prescription. You trust her that she's being faithful in her duty at work. Then you take that medicine home. You read the label and you begin to take doses of that medicine some pharmaceutical company produced. You trust them that they're being faithful in their work. Throughout our society, we require faithfulness because without it, our society would fall apart. Remember, God requires faithfulness too. You may not be the most intelligent, the most beautiful, the most athletic, the most popular, the most talented, but you can be faithful. You can be faithful in spite of all the pressures and stress and strain that you might feel. Be faithful. The Spirit of God living within you will enable you to be faithful as you abide in Christ. He will give you what you need. He will inspire you, motivate you, convict you, empower you to carry out whatever duty you have to do in a faithful manner because He's living. This God Almighty who is faithful Himself is living inside of you. And He's going to produce that fruit. Now let's talk finally about our our reward for being faithful. Turn with me to... Matthew 25, and this will be the last section of Scripture we turn to, and you can rest your hands. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. Of course, this is a parable Jesus is telling. It's a parable about the talents. And he first of all speaks about the opportunity to be faithful. Now notice here. Notice these three individuals have an opportunity to be faithful. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. So here is uh, this master, he calls his three slaves, he gives one five, one two, one one talent, And they now have the opportunity to display faithfulness. You and I will have opportunities. We have them every day to display faithfulness in all that we do. Then notice the responsibility to be faithful. Verse 16. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded them. Traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner... The one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his money. His master's money, he he just buried it. You had two who were responsible and one who was not. We have the opportunity to be responsible. With what we have. Then notice the accountability to be faithful. We pick up the story in verse 19. Now after a long time the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received 
The five talents came and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So he's promoted. He's recognized. He's rewarded. Verse 22, also the one who received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He too was rewarded. Then look in verse 24, And one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Now notice verse 29. For everyone who has, more shall be given. And he who who will have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worst worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here the, each of these stewards are held accountable for what they did with their resources. They were expected to be faithful. What can we determine? Well, we can determine that these two, the one with ten, oh, the one with five, and the one with two talents, they were faithful. They seized the opportunity to faithfulness. They were responsible, and when held to account, they were rewarded. And it demonstrated to the master that they were truly committed to him. But what about the one who had just one talent who buried it in the ground? He had nothing to show for it. He missed his opportunity to demonstrate his responsibility. And when held to account, he had nothing but the one talent. And it was taken from him. And he was sent out separated from the master. He had no part in the master's household. This comes back in line with abiding in Christ. When we abide in Christ, we will produce fruit. When we're only attached to Christ, the way Judas was, and there's no authentic relationship, there's no genuine conversion, there will be no fruit. A fruitless Christian is an imposter. A fruitless Christian is not a Christian. Now I understand you may have been saved this morning and and you don't see a whole lot of fruit. It takes time. 
But whenever you stand before God and you have nothing to show, there's, no, there's been no character traits of the Spirit of God at work in your life. You have no reason to believe that you are born again. If you are truly abiding with Christ, there will be evidence of your salvation experience through the production of these spiritual traits in your life. And in my life. Are there any signs that you have truly been converted? Are you growing in your faith? I heard the story of how on one stormy night an elderly couple entered into the lobby of a small hotel. Unfortunately, there was no vacancy. Not only in that hotel, but throughout the city. All the hotels were filled. The clerk that waited on this young couple had compassion on them. And he said, I can't send you out into this storm. Would you be willing to stay in my room? They were hesitant at first. But they agreed to do it. The next morning when the man paid his bill, he said, you're the kind of man who should be managing the best hotel in the United States. Someday I'll build you one. The clerk smiled politely. A few years later, that same clerk received a letter from an elderly man, the same man that he helped, he and his wife, on that stormy night A few years earlier. And he asked him to come to New York. He provided for him a round trip ticket. When the clerk arrived in New York. His host took him to the corner of 5th Avenue and 34th Street. Where stood a magnificent new building. That explained the man. Is the hotel I built for you to manage. The man was William Waldorf Astor. And the hotel was the original Waldorf Astoria. The young clerk, George C. Bold. He became the first manager of the hotel. Here was a manager that was rewarded For being faithful in what many people would see as an insignificant event. He was just doing his job to the best of his ability. And it was noticed by this man of great reputation and ability and wealth. There's a lesson to learn here. And that is, are we being faithful to the Lord? Even in the small things? I'm telling you, when we are, God will take notice. You and I can be faithful to the Lord because we abide in Christ. In their book, Christian, in their book, Children at Risk, James Dobson and Gary Bauer tell the following story. One of the most tragic events of the Reagan presidency occurred on a Sunday morning in Beirut. When a terrorist drove a truck filled with explosives into the Marines barracks and killed hundreds of Americans and wounded many more. 
or they were hundreds, I'm not sure exactly the number, I can't remember the number, but hundreds were killed and wounded. I remember that morning, though, because my dad got up early the Sunday morning, I was just a boy, turned the television on, and it was all over the news. Shortly after this tragedy, the Marine Corps Commandant, Commander Paul X. Kelly, visited one of the wounded survivors in the Frankfurt Hospital in Germany. And when he went into the room, he saw this man had tubes going in and out of his body. He, he literally looked like a machine. The man could not speak, but he motioned for someone and tried to get them to hand him a pad and a pencil. With it, he took and wrote down as best he could with a trembling hand two words. Semper Fi. The Latin motto of the Marines meaning Forever faithful. With those two simple words, Nashton spoke for the millions of Americans who had sacrificed body and limb and their lives for their country. And those who have remained faithful. Forever faithful is what God is calling us to be. He's not asking us to do something in our own power and strength. He's simply asking us to daily yield to the Spirit of God within us. And when we do, the power necessary to produce the trait of faithfulness will begin to be born in our lives. Let us yield to Him. Thank you again for listening today. If the Holy Spirit has dealt with you as you listened and you need to speak with someone, please call our church office at 912-384-5598, Monday through Friday from 830 till 5. We will be glad to share with you about the wonderful God we serve. To find out more information about First Baptist Douglas, Georgia, please visit our webpage at fbcdouglas.com. If you would like to watch our services, you can watch them on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. On behalf of our pastor, Don Hathaway, thanks for listening.